1996. Who was alive in 1996? Wow, wow. What do you remember about 1996? It was 25 years ago. In 1996, what took place? I, I actually made a little bit of a list. In uh, 1996, my wife and I spent time discussing about moving to Australia to study at Bible College. I remember 1996 quite, quite definitively. Uh, Braveheart by Mel Gibson won Best Picture at the Oscars. The song of the year was Kiss of, uh, was it Kiss of a Rose by Seal. Um, South Africa, hello Gavin, South Africa were the reigning rugby world champions after defeating New Zealand in the final in 1995. A, yeah, well anyway, we'll carry on with that. Uh, the most significant thing about 1996 for me is that that was the year Emily was born. Now for you guys, some of those events during that year would have no significance to you whatsoever. To you, you couldn't really care less. There might be some personal application, some personal thing that took place in your life at that particular time that causes you to remember that year. The reality is this, though. 25 years ago, it's really not that long. 25 years ago, especially if it's something important, I still remember holding Emily in my hands 25 years ago. When it's something that's so close to you, so important to you, it doesn't really matter. You always remember that time. Now, the reason why I begin with something like that is because today we're going to start a series. And we're going to look at one of the New Testament letters that was written roughly 25 years after the ascension of Jesus. After the resurrection of Christ and get returned to heaven, we're going to have a look at this letter that was written by this particular person. So 25 years isn't that long ago, even for the writer of this letter. Because 25 years has passed since Christ is raised, that was long enough for people to be able to refute any false teachings. It was close enough for eyewitnesses to have something to say when someone tried to stir up something else. And because these eyewitnesses were still there, they could then in turn encourage the various churches to walk close with the Lord. Now, my prayer is today as we begin this series, we will be encouraged also to walk close with him as well, that we can draw from this particular letter. So if we want to turn to the book of Galatians, we're going to have a look and start a new series, which I'll get to in a minute. I'm going to open a word of prayer, and then I'll give a little bit of background. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are, as Jono shared and as we sang, you are the name above all names, that you are worthy to be praised, that you are the God of all glory and of all majesty of whom we stand in awe. And now we ask that by your Spirit, you will minister to each of our hearts to open our eyes to see the beautiful truths found within the pages of Scripture, to heed your voice as you speak to us by your Spirit and give us the courage and the boldness to respond in obedience to, re to the convictions you lay upon each of our hearts. So we commit this time to you now. Glorify yourself through your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the book of Galatians was written around A.D. 48 to 53. Um, it was written not to a specific church, but to a province called Galatia. 
And within this province, there were several churches located. I've got a map up there. Uh, there was Antioch, Derby, Iconium, and Lystra. Areas and churches you can read about in the book of Acts to see the goings-on in those particular places. Now remember, the risen Lord had ascended to the heavens after commissioning his disciples in Matthew 28 to proclaim the gospel. After then, he met with Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus and brought him to salvation through trust in Christ. This personal encounter, you have a look at Acts chapter 9 to read about the conversion of Saul. So between Saul's conversion and now, there's not even been 25 years. It'd be about 20 to 25 years have passed. And Paul is writing this letter to the Galatian churches because the wonderful message of God's gospel, the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ, the proclamation of God's mercy and of sin's forgiveness has reached these groups of people, have reached these churches. But it had come under threat. There was a threat that had arisen. What is that threat? False teachers had come in and one started to add to the good news of the gospel. They started to add a message of Jesus plus something, turning the gospel of grace to a gospel of works. And two, they were questioning the legitimacy of Paul's apostleship if that could be deemed as invalid, that if his conversion could be deemed as useless, then everything he taught regarding new life in Christ, regarding the new creation, regarding walking in obedience could be invalidated too. So by means of an introduction for this series over the next month to six weeks to eight weeks maybe, we'll see how we go. As we look at this new series, which I've entitled Living Free, Living free, and we'll begin by what I call getting foundational. Now, I want you to read this. I spoke with a brother and sister in the Lord about this particular letter, and I asked them to read it. And their response to me was like, he looks so angry. When you read it, he sounds so angry. He sounds so angry. The reason why he sounds angry is because the writer, Paul, he wants them to be able to live free. He knows that they know better. He knows that they've experienced the the grace of God and the freedom and the liberty that is found in Christ. And he wants them to live free because of his love for them, because of God's love for them, so they could experience the abundant life that has been promised to them in Christ. To live free. And so as you read this letter, I would encourage you to read this letter over the coming weeks as well. Read with that mentality. Read that Paul desires us to be living free. Actually, the Lord Jesus himself wants us to live free as well. So I'm going to invite my sister, Caris, to come forward and give our Bible reading this morning as an introduction. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Thanks, Chris. So reading from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Thank you very much for that, Chris. So today from this text, we're going to look at three wonderful truths, three things that prayerfully will be, I don't know, will meet us where we're at as well, to apply to each of our hearts also. The first of which I like to look at is newness, the Lord's newness. We read in those very first words, or actually the first three words, Paul and Apostle. Paul's name formerly was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Saul means asked or prayed for. And his name is now being changed to Paul, which in Latin means small or humble. It's symbolic of the transformation that's been taking place in his life. He goes from being a person of renown and of prestige and position. After he meets the Lord Jesus, he has changed to Paul because now he is humbled and grateful and appreciative of the change that's been brought about in his life. The idea of being renamed by the Lord is not a new one. Abram, meaning high father in Genesis, gets changed to Abraham, meaning the father of of many. This is a reminder of God's covenant promise with him. Jacob, which means usurper or deceiver, is changed to Israel, which means to struggle with or to retain God, as it came right after he spent all night wrestling with God in Genesis 32. Simon, hey Simon, means listening or hearing. And his name is then changed to Cephas, or Peter, Cephas, meaning stone. See, the beauty of knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior, the blessing of God's grace and believing in the good news of Jesus Christ results in change, results in renewal, results in being regenerated by his spirit, giving to all who trust in Christ for their eternal destiny, something that many people look for today, a new life, a new beginning, a new person. And that's what happens when one meets Christ. And we see this demonstrated in the scriptures. If you look at John chapter 3, verse 3, we read how Jesus, speaking to Nicodemus, says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. It means, as Nicodemus asked, do you mean to tell me that one must enter again into their mother's womb and be born again? And he says, no, unless a man is born of the Spirit he shall not see the kingdom of God. There must be this change of nature to take place. And that only happens if one's nature is changed by the Spirit of God. And when that has happened, we read in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if one has been born again, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. New desires, new values, new longings, new goals. Why? Because you have been renewed. And as we have been renewed, we read in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. 
Or as one of the translations says, we walk in the newness of life. There is a newness that the Lord brings. Now you want to know why at times as Christians we find it hard to live in this world? You know why we find ourselves struggling over and over again? And I'm speaking from personal experience. I think it's because for me at least it may be completely different for you being given a new heart and a new soul and a new, a new desire, a new citizenship. I still try to find my enjoyment or my contentment or my pleasure in the things of my old life. I look to those things that I used to do and have fun with and find out because my heart is now new, I can't enjoy those things anymore. Why? Because my heart's no longer inclined for those things. My, my conviction comes because I'm trying to enjoy things of old that just doesn't work anymore. That may be the same for you. But that's why he has renewed us to enjoy the newness of life that he has given. You see, as a part of this new life, we too are also given a new identity. It is the blessing we gain, not necessarily by literally being renamed, but by having one's heart of stone removed and have instead placed a heart of flesh. To not only know the Lord, but also, and more importantly, be known by the Lord as his child. Look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, we read of the Philadelphian church. And if they endure, their reward is this. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. How personal. How intimate. How privileged to be named in such a manner as this. Now, on my phone, and you look at my contact list, my wife, you'll see my wife's name. It's number one on my contact list. I put number one there. She's always number one. She's always top. But on there, it's got not her name, but Babe Helg. And then there's my son, and my son's name, who's Nathaniel. You have Boy Helg. Then you have Emily, and her nickname is Willie Helg. Then Faith, who is Lewis McJimmy Jim. What I'm saying to this, when there's this intimacy and when there's this closeness, you don't use names. For me, I use nicknames. That's just evident. So I haven't called my wife by her name unless we're having a discussion. And likewise, she doesn't call me by my name unless we're having a discussion, which we resolve. And then we go back to saying, hey, baby. Hey, hon. That's my name. I think. Okay, anyway. But how personal. This is what the Lord does for us. The Lord has given us a name. The fact that when the Lord says, I will be their God. And that, that's, that's, a, that's a given. That's regardless. Because it doesn't matter what you believe or don't believe about him. He will always be God. And he says, I will be their God. And it carries a greater honor when it says after that, and they will be my people. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. 
a people known by name, a church that of individuals that God knows specifically, that he knows you, that your name is written on the palms of his hands, that we are part of this body that has this new function to glorify God. This is the beauty of having and attaining this newness in Christ, this new life in Christ, this new purpose in Christ. We have been renamed by him. And that newness is only possible due to the second point, God's authority, the Lord's authority. We read how it's Paul, an apostle, Sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Now, as has been shared in the past, the word apostle means a sent one. Usually with a specific message and a specific purpose. But, what gives the message and the messenger any sort of credibility is the authority behind the message and the authority behind the messenger, the one who has the capacity to back it up. You see this continually, and I've often used the illustration of our family, and and I've used this illustration where if I say to one of my kids, can you tell tell Jirel to stop jumping on the bed? And the child goes and says, you've got to stop jumping on the bed. Does Jairel listen? No, because it's a sibling. That's all it is. <laughs> Whatever, Emily. And he'll carry on. She comes back, Dad, he's not listening. Tell him, Dad said, stop jumping on the bed. And she goes back, Dad said, stop jumping on the bed. Now, because the weight of my authority is behind her, she can now boldly go there and have him obey, which he does, because I've raised great kids. But goes there, and, and, and see the difference there? When there's authority behind, we have been given authority in Christ. Paul has been given authority from Christ as an apostle. And that it is not sent, he is not sent by men, neither was he recommended by men, but rather by the risen Christ himself and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You see, irrespective of what the people thought about him, irrespective of what the people tried to promote against him to cause doubts about his conversion, to cause doubts about his qualifications, the evidence stood on its own. What evidence? Well, the evidence of a supernatural message, a message that had its roots firmly planted in the power of God unto salvation, the gospel, as it says in Romans 1.16. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, we read this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach to you is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. The gospel that stands on its own. The gospel of how God became a man, lived in this world, died on a cross, rose again from the dead. 
that gospel that can transform a person's life, that takes them from the kingdom of this world and makes them a part of his kingdom, that renews you, that gives you a new heart. That supernatural message, the evidence of a transformed life, that one is moved from darkness to light, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9b. Translated from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of their son, Colossians 1.13. In Galatians 1.13, we read this, what his life was like. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. That's what Paul's life was like. Now it's a life that has different values. Now it's a life that has different goals and different priorities, which he testifies of in verses 14 to 16 and in verses 20 to 24 of chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, please follow along with me. Starting at verse 14. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers, but... When God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Verse 20, I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard this report. Quote, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. End quote. And they praised God because of me. He goes from one aspect of trying to destroy the church. In the King James, it says how he wasted it. He wasted the church. Now they praise God in him because he has been transformed. What he used to try to destroy, he now proclaims boldly. The evidence of a transformed life. The evidence of the resurrected Christ. At the end of verse 1, we read this. By Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. It is a fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that gives anything Paul did, or even anything we do, any significance. It is the fact that he conquered death that gives everything Jesus taught legitimacy and credibility. Everything he promised, everything he imparts, everything that Jesus taught because we serve a risen Savior, can be trusted because he rose from the dead. We can have a confident assurance and a secure hope that our faith is not in vain, that it's not a waste of time, that our lives won't be miserable because Jesus lives. Those are the evidences that Paul had to give his qualifications any weight whatsoever, irrespective of what people said or tried to discard. Those realities spoke for themselves. It's like when the apostles of John the Baptist went and saw Jesus and said, are we waiting for you or should we look for another? Jesus said to them, my works speak for themselves. Look at what I've done. 
The blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised. Go back and tell John that. Those are the qualifications. These are the qualifications for the Apostle Paul here. See, he refers to these because the second one, a transformed life, could only be established because the first evidence or the foundational evidence is legitimate and the third one, the resurrection of Christ, is true and gives him weight or gives him authority to do what he could do. It means that everything is on the level. Everything is legit. Everything is trustworthy because the Lord Jesus has stated it as so. The transformation of a life that is based on truth is not easily swayed. And it can come at a great cost to keep that truth. For these people trying to discredit Paul, it didn't change the fact that he had met the risen Lord. For the things that they were trying to, to do to delegitimize his ministry couldn't take away from the fact that Paul faithfully served and faithfully proclaimed Jesus Christ. You see, what concerned Paul was Jesus. That's what concerned him. Because Jesus called him. Because Jesus saved him. Because Jesus authorized him to represent him, Paul went forth regardless of what he faced. I think we forget this. We've been called to follow him. We, pardon me, he gave us a newness of life to live for him. He has authorized us to do his work. He has granted us the capacity to proclaim his message. He has imbued us with power, according to Acts 1.8, to be his witnesses. He has made us to participate and be a part of his church, which is called what? His body. This does not discard our individuality as people. We're not supposed to be carbon copies of each other. We're not squeezed into a cookie-cutter mold that crushes our personalities and our traits, which was what some religions actually do. But rather, in each of our unique, gifted, and individual aspects, we are taken by the Lord Jesus, given his divine authority, for the purpose of proclaiming his amazing message. That's the greatness of being given God, of being a part of God's people, of being given authority in Jesus Christ to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to drive out demons, to, to heal the sick, to proclaim the kingdom of God in Mark chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. That's what we are told. It is why Paul makes a point that this supernatural message. And this supernatural appointment, this supernatural authority that has been given to him is not just restricted to him alone. Why? Because in verse 2 we read, And all the brothers and sisters with me. It's something that isn't just restricted to him, but all can partake of. That all carry the same authority in Jesus Christ. That we can all say, I rebuke you, get behind me, Satan, in the power of Jesus' name. That in the authority of Jesus' name, we can stand strong for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the kingdom of God. That's for all of us. 
That is a part of the newness graciously given to us, the authority bestowed upon us by Christ, and all this is done so so that we might proclaim the Lord's deliverance. We read in verses 3 and 4, I'll read to 5 as well, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. If you've been a Christian for an extended amount of time, you start to, and this is in everybody, you start to forget the magnitude of God's goodness, the extent of God's grace, the, the, the fact that what's been imparted to us in Jesus Christ, we forget these things. And I think it's why, as a part of Paul's standard greeting, in all of his letters, he points to the grace and peace to remind the church of what and of who we have. For example, we have undeserved grace for it is grace you have been saved through faith, Ephesians 2.8 says. It is grace that has appeared to us and teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions in Titus chapter 2, verses 11-12. And grace that's brought to us when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming, 1 Peter 1.13. We have not only undeserved grace, we have peace with God whereby we can, not as slaves, but as sons and daughters, cry out, Abba, Father. Because as his children, we have peace with God through faith in Christ, by whom we have also access to him. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, we read this. And we can enter confidently into his throne room and seek help in time of need, for it is a peace that no one or no thing could ever give you. We can have a type of peace, yes, but a peace with God? No. I still remember, I shared this years ago, when a young fella comes up to me and says, Joe, why Christianity? All these other religions that promote various things and, and look at life improvement and doing this and doing that and being good. Why Christianity? What separates Christianity? I said, because being good doing well in life, living a good life, yeah, that's fine, but it does nothing to make you right as a sinner before a holy God. It does nothing to do away and to change my nature as a sinful man. That can only come through faith in Christ. That's why Christ, that's why Christianity, biblical Christianity, that finds one's acceptance by God is found only through faith in Christ and nowhere and in nothing else. Why? Because in John 14, 7, we read this, Peace, this is Jesus speaking, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Why? How does the world give something? The world gives something wanting something back. Yeah, little Jono, I'll do something for you if you do this for me. Yeah, Ellie, I'll get this for you if you get this for me. The peace comes at a condition. Peace in the world says you sacrifice something to gain something temporary. Christ's peace came at his expense. Christ's peace came with his sacrifice. Christ's peace came with the giving of his life. And he imparts it to us not as the world gives, because the world expects in return. Our Lord says, I give this to you. 
for you to receive and experience. That is an amazing gift. That is part of that deliverance we have received. Then we have this, payment for my sin. He gave himself as a sacrifice for my sin. He paid the wages of my sin, which is death, so that I might receive the gift of God, which is eternal life through Christ Jesus my Lord. We, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin, for we're not redeemed with perishable things, we're told in 1 Peter, like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb without spot or blemish. For through his blood, we receive not only redemption, but forgiveness as well. We are delivered by undeserved grace. We are delivered as being receivers of peace. We are delivered because we are beneficiaries of Christ's sacrifice, resulting in our liberation from captivity. He says we're delivered from this evil age. He saved us. Okay, our salvation provided by Jesus is not to deliver or rescue me from sin and its consequence, but to deliver and rescue me from this evil age too. To deliver us from the way this world thinks, from what this world values, from the anti-God influences that pervade society, the aggression, to deliver us from the aggression toward the things of God and the overall dismissing of God's reality and existence. We've been delivered from all of those things. Such is the present evil age we find ourselves in today. Whereas Isaiah puts it, where evil is called good and good is called evil. Where a man can be a woman because he feels like it. Where a woman could be a man because they feel like it. Where a former American president can be banned off the internet, but child pornography and terrorist organizations and hate groups can still openly proclaim their particular policies. Where, and, and, and we're at an age where during a pandemic, clubs, pubs, and strip shows, strip joints and casinos can be considered essential services, but churches and their programs that they want to do to benefit society are shut down because they're considered a threat to the community. Such is the age that we currently live in. But we are delivered from such things. Not saying that we don't have problems. I, I, I know we have problems. But the focus of this letter, the focus for us as we go through this series, is to stir these Galatian believers, is to stir us to have the right focus in order for us to live free. We've been delivered from bondage, and instead of putting ourselves back in bondage, live free. We've been delivered from guilt, and instead of putting ourselves back under guilt, to live free. To understand that we are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. Meaning this, that we're above in the heavenlies. To live as if we're above in the heavenlies. To live free. To live free because this world is not our home. But to live because heaven is our home. If we are as children, if we are as children, that we can live free because we are bound by the heart of God. That we are held by the values of God, 
of love, of forgiveness, of understanding, of compassion, of holiness, and of righteousness, of justice, that we might live free to be people that are merciful, to be people that are upright. We can live free because Christ has made us free. We shall be free indeed. You see, you can live free because the gospel, that good news, is not bound. It, it extends beyond political ideologies. It extends beyond various worldviews. It extends beyond the four walls of this building. It extends beyond the shores of this country. The gospel is not bound. Why? Because it is foundational. It is a supernatural message that brings newness in Christ, that gives authority by Christ, and that delivers us through Christ. That is what the gospel does. Praise God for the gospel. Praise God for Jesus Christ. Praise God that his truth will stand. Praise God that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praise God that his plans, even this present age, this present age, his plans, including COVID-19 and the restrictions going on, his plans, even with all the political upheaval that's going on around the world, is proceeding exactly as God has intended. It's moving where God desires it to go in accordance with his plans for such is the sovereignty of our God, which means you and I as his children need to get on board with his program and be submitted to what he is doing in the lives of this church and the lives of each family and the lives of each individual. And with that knowledge, as we leave here today, you and I, we might live free upon the foundation that no one else can lay, the person of Jesus Christ. And in Christ, experience freedom and abundance as we follow him. So with that, brothers and sisters, I've Done enough yelling this morning. If I can ask you to be upstanding or close in a word of prayer, I would encourage you all to read through the book of Galatians. Just do it in one sitting. It takes about 25 minutes to half an hour. And then just read. Each day read it and see what God reveals to you about himself as he encourages us to live free. Bow your heads. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to deliver us from our own bondage to sin. Thank you so much that you adorned yourself in human flesh and came as a sacrifice to wash our sin away. And through faith in you, through trusting in you, we might have life in abundance. Thank you that because you rose from the dead, we will rise also. Thank you that you have conquered death and that we are more than conquerors through you who loved us. And as we look at the word this morning, I pray you will stir within our hearts that it might align with yours, that we might be a people to live free in Christ, that we might be a people that will walk in the newness of life, 
walk in the authority that you have granted us and walk in the freedom that you have delivered us into. We ask for you to dismiss us now and as we go about our day today, may you place in our eyes a vision of the cross. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even imagine according to the power that works within us. Unto you be glory in your church, both now and forever, even to the end of the age. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you very much for that, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much, everybody at home. Have a lovely day. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you.